Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Hey, everybody. It's your old boy, DK. Brand new podcast for you today. Novelist Neil Perry Gordon sits down with us to talk a little today about what he's been up to, his latest book, Hope City which is a tale about the gold rush in Alaska in the late 1800s. Neil was nice enough to offer the DK Project podcast listeners a special offer, a free download of his book, The Bomb Squad. Just send him an email at neilperrygordon at gmail.com. All he's asking in return is a review on Amazon or Goodreads. So check that out. Neil's books are available on Audible, Amazon, bookstores, pretty much anywhere you get books. So check it out. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Neil Perry Gordon. So I want to welcome everybody back to the show. We've got a special guest in today, a, uh, a world-renowned, are we going world-renowned author? Yeah, we'll do it. Why not? Mr. Neil Perry Gordon is with us. He uh, was nice enough to cut away some time today so we could uh, dive in. He's got a new book coming out called Hope City. What? Uh, how, well, first of all, how are you, sir? I am well. Thank you, Darren. How are you? I am good. I'm good. And we're finding you in the uh, the Big Apple, right? You're an uh, East Coaster. I am. I'm in the epicenter of our lovely Corona catastrophe. Yes. How, how, okay. So, you know, obviously it's the, it's on the forefront of everybody's mind. So let's talk about, let's get it out of the way. How bad is it? What are you seeing? I don't see anything. I'm <laughs> home. So I don't, I don't go out. Oh, you I haven't. Don't, the grocery store. That's my brave venture. Um, so we we head out to the grocery store. I do like once a week, and uh, it's my courageous outing. So I, I go out there. I'm like, well, I'm not I'm not like a coward like I was when this began, like you know, seven weeks ago. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm more have more courage now when I go. Um, but you're going full mask, gloves, the whole bit, and everybody you see is that yeah. way. Yeah, everyone's in masks and gloves. So, you know, it's interesting because now you really focus on people's eyes. And as a writer, it's an uh, interesting perspective to see. You can, this amazing how you just can see everyone's emotion in their eyes. I mean, either they're showing that they're frightened or they're angry or they're, or they're happy or they're trying to express happiness. You know, so it's a very interesting time to experience human behavior in, a, in an, ex, an accentuated way. That, uh, that's interesting. Cause I, I, you know, I'm in, uh, the middle of the country where we're, I don't know, we're protesting that we need to reopen everything and, and I'm kind of on the fence, but that's a whole nother bag of bolts. But, uh, New York is hit hard. New York is like, you're in the, you're, you're in the hot spot right there, man. That's crazy. So it's interesting to hear. And, you know, I talk to people all across the country, uh, for different stuff that I do and for the podcast, but it's really interesting to hear how it varies as you travel across the country when the way that people's perception of it and, and how they're handling it and what they're doing. And it's a different yeah. time. It's crazy. And the real question is how long until we have a book out about the pandemic? Is it in the works or what? Well, you have to first <laughs> ask that question, but you know what I've been thinking about, I write historical fiction. Okay. So, you know, I, I mean, for, for this to become history, I have to wait a while, but I could write about, the 1918 uh, Spanish flu pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have a, a good perspective on how human behavior reacted 
at that time because, you know, we're pretty much have the same reaction I'm imagining that they had back then, you know, quarantining and wearing masks and uh, outbreaks uh, like they had two two cities, St. Louis and Philadelphia, where Philadelphia decided to have a Memorial Day parade. Or was it a Labor Day parade? I forget what what it was, and and and, and be open. This, you know, it's like the conversations we're having now. Right. Be closed or open, and they they decided to open, invite, and uh, and St. Louis decided to close, and then there was a big outbreak in Philadelphia after that, and a lot of deaths, and St. Louis mitigated it. So we're experiencing the same thing. Of course, we have better medicines now, um, better healthcare than they did, but human behavior hasn't changed. It's the same. So. I might write about that at one point because I'll use the experience from today to write about something 100 years ago, which is my style. Interesting. Okay, so so for the listeners who aren't familiar, how many how many uh, where how did all this start? Where 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 did we did, did you just uh, I knew you knew you were going to be a writer from the beginning or how how did this all come about? When I was born, my mother put a pen in my hand and said, <laughs> "No, not really." Um, I was always a writer, um, but I was a writer of business articles, never dabbled into the fiction until uh, 2018 when my first novel uh, was published, A Cobbler's Tale. So I have five published novels since that one in 2018. I have another one that the manuscript has just been finished and will be going to the editor next month. And I just taken my fingertips to my laptop uh, for the sequel to Hope City, which hopefully will be out sometime in the fall. Wow. So two years, you just, you're just pounding these things out and and these aren't, these aren't light reads. These are, these are novels. These are 80,000 word novels. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes about six months for a novel to be written. Um, from so, the time I start till it's published. So is there is there flow to them? Like I'm I when I knew you were coming on, I jumped into the Cobbler's Tale, uh, yeah. on audio, and I'm I'm going to say three quarters of the way through it right now. Um, oh, cool. But is there some regularity to them? Like uh, like Pincus, the main dude in the uh, Cobbler's Tale, is he? Right. Are we seeing him later on? I I was uh, uh, no, but you see Moshe later. Moshe, his okay. son. Yep. You'll see him in the, in the Righteous One. He's a 60-year-old man in The Righteous One. So it's a follow-up to A Cobbler's Tale. It's my third book. Okay. And uh, who's a child in the book you're reading, Cobbler's Tale, he is now a 60-year-old year old man. Oh, uh, I got you. Yeah. So Pincus went by the wayside then, I'm guessing, if the, Pink, if well, the son you is 60. Finished, <laughs> you haven't finished the book yet, so you'll you'll find out what happens to Pincus. Yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. It's... Uh, it, uh, I dove right into it and, um, it's, it's good. I'm, uh, I'm really uh, having a good time with it now. Now, a couple questions that came up while I was diving into this thing. How do you, okay. So you're going from writing business stuff, which I'm guessing was for a company somewhere, correct? For my company. Yeah. I'm in the, uh, in the interior design business. Oh, very cool. Oh, I got to talk to you about a, an interior designer. I know huh. she's, okay. she's at home right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she dabbles. Uh, anyway, uh, when you're writing these books, uh, what do you like, uh, the cobbler's tale, your first one, what, what, what was the inspiration? Like, how do you decide, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to write, you know, historical stuff and, and, you know, here's the setting and here, what I, I mean, really, where does it come from? 
Well, the cobbler's tale, Pincus was my great grandfather. Oh, okay. And Moshe was my grandfather. Oh, wow. So there's, as you can imagine, I mean, if you're reading the story or listening to it in Audible, you know, they have, they, they did come to, to America. My great grandfather, Pincus, came to New York to the Lower East Side in 1910 from an area of what is now Southern Poland. Uh, called Krishka in a, in the in the uh, area called Galicia, which was part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire in 1910. He left his pregnant wife Clara and his three children there. Why he came here to get established uh, as a cobbler? Wow! So it's all real. That really happened, and he wow. really really left them there, and war broke out, and they ended up in the war zone. Um, and, uh, I make Pincus much more heroic and courageous than he really was. <laughs> uh, you have to embellish it, a little bit, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it would not be an interesting story if I didn't. And, uh, so yeah, so I, I use their, their, their story as inspiration and that got me into historical fiction, which I love anyway, because I love reading historical fiction. I like learning about history while I'm being entertained through a, a fun story. So I like writing that style because I too learn as I, as I do research um, um, about different points, times in history, which I learned from Cobbler's Tale and I learned in Moonflower, which was a story in 1670s, uh, also in the New York area, but it was Dutch controlled and, and the Native American Indians were very prominent back then. Uh, the Righteous One, which is not historical fiction, it's just a continuation of a Kabbalist tale, but it, it goes into metaphysical fiction, which is a sort of a journey into the consciousness and into the dream world and the whole other type of a spiritual aspect to it. And then wow. there's the Bob Squad, which takes place uh, 1916, right before the U.S. Uh, gets involved in World War One. So that's a historical fictional tale. It's uh, about two men, both German Americans. One is a German spy and one is a New York City police detective. And it's their clash of the patriots between these two men uh, is what the bomb squad is about. And then Hope City, which is the new one, which is about to come out, takes place in 1898 in Alaska during the gold rush. Ooh, I like that. And a 17-year-old boy, teenager, uh, just graduates high school in San Francisco and uh, heads up for the summer to Alaska to uh, to seek his fortune. Really? And it's more of a trip down the rabbit hole than anything else for him. And it's a very interesting tale. I, I go up to Hope, Alaska every summer. Oh. And, and I would have gone this summer, and I would have gone gloriously with these books in my hand about Hope, uh, but... It seems that the gods do not want me to come. Wow! So, so you you uh, do you have a house there or what? You go? Is that I have friends? I have friends there oh. who I stay. With. So uh, yeah, good friends who I go up and visit. Um, so that so one's I've, coming out on June twentieth. What the summer solstice? That's why we're doing it on oh, June twentieth. Oh, nice. That's yeah. Cool. So we we were looking for a date. My um my publicist was saying, you know, you should launch this on a on a like some sort of holiday in June to make it a significant event. So she was doing some research. She came up with log cabin day. And I'm like, <laughs> I was really? going to say there aren't a lot of holidays in June. Is there There's nothing? Log cabin day is all you got. <laughs> I said, nah, we're not doing log cabin day. So I talked to my friend, Tom in Alaska, who's my, 
who, who's my buddy up there. And he goes, hey, the biggest day of the year is in June in Alaska. It's the summer solstice, June 20th, 2020. And, you know, everywhere in the north where you have winter, you really celebrate the summer. But you certainly celebrate it a lot more in Alaska when the summer is so much uh, shorter. Well, don't they so, have a daylight so, situation there, too, where they're where they're they, they do it at midnight. I mean, if you're there at midnight, it's like at the middle of the day. Man. Bright as can be. Um, it gets a little dark, you know, um, especially down in the southern part of Alaska in the, in the summertime for like an hour or two, around two, three in the morning. Once you're up further north, like if you're in Nome or you know, even north of that, it never gets dark at all. Um, but then on the converse in the uh, in the wintertime, the sun never comes up. Oh. So that's a bummer. Sometimes I uh, feel like that here in Minnesota. We get so much, it's so gray. It's like, oh, I don't know how, I don't know how people do it. You have to be on so much medication or, or be a real <laughs> night owl, nocturnal city, man. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, no, I love the sun. I'm a sun worshiper. I, you know, as sun comes out, I'm just like, let it shine on me. Let it warm me. Ugh, I need that sun. And we need vitamin D3. You know, that's a big thing. That's a big deficiency we have in terms of fighting corona. Um, so D3, you get it from the sun. You can get it as a supplement. But that's a very good uh, vitamin to, to have to, to, to keep yourself, uh, your immune system healthy. Well, and I've noticed that I, uh, I've been spending a lot of time in my studio. My studio is completely blacked out other than, you know, the, the lighting in here, but no windows, none of that. And it's like, I get a little tired and crabby some afternoons and I'm thinking that's what it is. I, oops, I'm not seeing the, I'm not seeing the light of day. So I don't, well, I don't know how you could live in that. that. We're not meant to be, as humans, we are not meant to be in those conditions. We are meant to be outdoors and, and, and getting sun, and uh, we need it. That's it. I, it. I'm, planning my, uh, I'm planning my retirement in Colorado or California. I need 300 days of sun a year. That's a, that's a good number. It's a good number. Right now, I think we get 50. We get the opposite. Yeah. Minnesota's <laughs> going through a change. But I like the idea of this Hope City because I'm big into this gold rush stuff, this you know, Discovery Channel has the Gold Rush stuff on there. And I, I don't watch right. a lot of TV, but I do watch that because I just think it's crazy how, how you know, the whole gold thing comes together. It is crazy. Um, it's, and it's what is interesting is the emotional uh, motivation that people get. You know, when, when gold, I'm, I'm writing a book now about the Gold Rush in Nome, um, which is my sequel to The One in Hope. And what's interesting about Gnome was there was discovered in 1896 by they call them the three lucky Swedes. These guys happened to be up there just purely by chance, and no one knew there was gold up there. I mean, the people thought there might have been some gold, and they, you know, some some studies that they said there was gold there. And you know, they all everyone was now in Dawson City in Canada and the Yukon, which is about 2,000 miles to the east of where Gnome is. Wow! Uh, but these guys discovered. In, in Nome, like an enormous gold find. They became so wealthy. I mean, it was, a, it was millions of dollars of gold that they found what, in 1800. 1800, huh? 1896, 1997. So they discovered it on rivers, you know, inland from the beach. Man. But what was remarkable is in 1899, they discovered the gold in the sand on the beach. So you don't have to go out and make yourself crazy, you know, and, and use these you know, digging and, and placer mining and, and, and tearing up the earth. It was right in the sand in Nome. So people were just digging in the sand, pulling out gold right out of the sand. 
Um, and they had 20 miles wide of beach, uh, about 50 feet deep of beach and tents set up as far as the eye can see up and down the beach of people just staking their claim. You pitched a tent, that was your claim, you dug there. And people were pulling out a couple hundred dollars a day of gold back in 1899, 1900. Wow. Uh, it was just an incredible time. Wyatt Earp made an appearance in 1899, 1900. He opened up a saloon there called the Dexter. So he he's part of the history as well. So it's kind of fun to have how a it, how, in that time frame. How long did it take to get from New York or, or you know, from the 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 lower uh, states to to get there? I mean, it takes an eternity now if you're uh, on the ground. Yeah, well, if you're going from like Seattle or San Francisco, you would take a steamship back in the day, oh, and you would go up through over the Gulf of Alaska, stop in a town in the Aleutian Islands called. Uh, on Alaska, and then you will continue up the Bering Strait till you get to Nome. And actually, going to Nome was a lot easier, and also to go into Hope too was a lot easier because you go by boat and you just land on the coast and you're there. Unlike going to Dawson City, the Klondike, that was a journey of unfathomable proportions. You had to climb what they called the Golden Steps, which was these steps up a mountain pass. And the Canadian government required you to carry 2,000 pounds of your own supplies. Wow. Be allowed to cross the border. And of course, who can carry 2,000 pounds on your back up a mountain pass? So you have to make several trips. And then once you got over with, if you made it and you survived with your supplies, then you either had to knock down some trees and build yourself a raft or buy some sort of river raft and then go down the river for another 150 miles before you got to where the Klondike was and Dawson City. And this was not just like, like a little, little float down the river. This was with your supplies on a wooden raft through rapids. So if you didn't drown and you finally got there, then you were with 30,000 other people all going crazy looking for gold. So people went to all ends to search for gold, including Jack London. And Jack London was an interesting guy. Um, he, of course, he will call the wild, but he went up to the Klondike. He, he, he experienced it there and he makes an appearance in Hope City uh, uh, as a, as a, uh, a special guest coming into Hope City. They had to find so much gold. Otherwise, why would you even make the effort? I mean, like, like it had to be so lucrative to, to uh, people dying. It's, 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 yeah, people died. Wow. Wow. What, what, so this book comes out on June 20th. How long yeah. until there's an audio version? Like how does that process work? There'll be an audio version. Not too long. I already got the narrator. So, you know, when I do audio books, um, I, I use auto, I use, uh, Amazon. They own, they own audible and they also have this, um, this marketplace that connects writers with narrators. Really? So, Yes. Yeah, so I put my book up for audition. Then people will come back with, a, uh, with audition tapes, recordings for me to listen to. Yeah. And then you try to find the right type of voice for, for your book. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, then, you, you know, uh, it's, you know, you have to think, you know, have to have in your mind, okay, what is the person supposed to sound like who's telling my story? Well, I'm sure that's uh, a huge part of it with the, with the uh, you know, I, I mean, you're spending six months putting this thing together. You got to have that sound. You got to know what that sound is, you know, in the first week that what you would assume you want it to sound like, right? 
Right, because people listening on Audible, they, they're not going to put up with more than five minutes if it's annoying. Yeah. You know, they voice that brings you into the story, you know, that you forget you're listening to it, that it feels like you're reading the story. Um, you get lost in it. You're, you're listening to Cobbler's Tale now, so you know what it's like. Yep. So you want to have that connection to the story. And, you know, it's interesting because they've done scientific studies of what's the difference between reading a book and listening to a book. And technically, on the brain, there's no difference. It's the same. Really? So it's the same effect. Yes, yeah, the same effect we have. Um, and it's wonderful to listen to books, too, because you, know, you could do that when you're doing other things. Um, I, I listen to always listen to something audible when I run every day. Um, sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's listening how famous writers write, learn about their crafts. Um, so I try to make my time productive while I'm running at the same time. So that's helpful. Yeah. It helps the time go by. That's for sure. I, I, I was curious cause I do some, uh, voiceover commercial work and, uh, but I've never, I, 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 the, the novel reading just doesn't do it for me. I, I wouldn't be any good at it, but to, I've, I've listened to a lot of them. I mean, I, I drive a lot for my, my day job and, uh, and, uh, it really helps pass the time, but some people are really good at it, like the different voices, the flow, keeping yeah. you interested. And I, and I was as I was listening to this, I'm like, I deal with all these people in the voiceover world all the time. But to get the the writer's perspective on it, to see what you look for and and how you go about that process. So how many uh, how many auditions would you generally get for a particular book? You got a couple, four or five auditions. Um, or were they just hit some- a chapter? They'll read you, you, you give them, uh, it's like five minutes, um, audition tape you get. So they'll, they'll read about five minutes of your trans of your manuscript. And you know, pretty much in the first minute, if they're, if they got it or not, um, if they, can, they, they could be good readers. I mean, good narrators. I mean, that's, that doesn't matter, but you know, I don't want someone with a, a Southern voice. If I'm, I'm narrating a story about New, Jewish New Yorkers, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, you, I have certain, you know, you have to have your character, your main character needs to be represented in a way that how I imagine it in my mind. So have you used the same, uh, narrator for, uh, the, the follow-up books or, or do you switch every time? Well, I use Michael Fishbein, who you're listening to now yep. for Cobbler's Tale. He did the first two books. He did A Cobbler's Tale and Moonflower. Then I have two new narrators for my next two books. Uh, Righteous One and the Bomb Squad. Each one will be different. Wow. Um, and then for uh, Hope City, I'll be reusing, not reusing, but reusing again, the same guy who's now doing Bomb Squad. So do you think that uh, in this day and age of technology and everything, I mean, this has to be, and obviously you started uh, hitting it hard in 2018, but like with, with Amazon and and the Audible and and I mean, do you really even print books anymore? Like, like, yeah. uh, like the, the ratio, uh, is it a majority of people grab it on a Kindle or, or is it, is this, do people still buy a lot of like paperback books? People still buy paperback. I have all my books available in paperback, ebook and audible. Um, what's interesting now, since we have the quarantine, um, the, the rise in digital books and ebooks has, has, has spiked. Really? Um, because it was kind of flat for, for a while. Um, but now it's spiked because you can imagine people can't get out to bookstores. Um, though you can get a book delivered. 
Um, but it has there's been a, a spike in digital books and uh, ebooks so during the past two months. So that's been an interesting phenomenon. It took me a long time to convert. Like I like turning the pages. I like having the book. I like, you know, the actual physical piece of the book. But now I'm on a Kindle and oh man, I'll never go back. It's like just so much easier and 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 it's already lit up. You know what I mean? So it's really cool. But it's it's interesting to to hear uh how that works, you know, and with everybody being stuck at home and nobody wanting to leave. I imagine the download books are, 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 you know, the, the electronic books are jumping out because, uh, you know, I know there was an old bookstore in a little town here. I live in like a lake community and there was a little bookstore. I think it's still there, but obviously not open due to the pandemic. But, uh, have you had to, uh, obviously change, do you do a book tour? I mean, have you had to totally alter your, your way that you're going to release this hope city? I never did any book tours though. I did a couple of book signings and, you know, it's, it's still very successful doing book signings when you meet people in person. You know, you, you can sit down and you can sell 20, 30 books yeah. um, there at a shot. And uh, so that's, if I can sell 20, 30 books in a day, that's, like a, that's an amazing day. That's so, cool. you know, it's very effective for selling books. But, it, you know, it's also time consuming to, uh, to sit there. You know, I'm, I'd rather be writing the books than selling the books. Uh, wow. though I, You're pumping them out. You, you don't have time to mess around. Well, you have to be a book writer and a bookseller. So, um, and and the most efficient way to, to be a bookseller is to do it digitally, through Amazon, through social media, through my website, through blogs, mm-hmm. through you know that type of uh, marketing rather than the physical marketing. Which at this point was a good decision because no one's doing anything physical or you know in person. Yeah, right. going out now. So you know it, this this is the way, certainly a way to do it under these conditions. That's, that's just crazy. So do you still own the, uh, the other, the, the company? Or are you all in on the writing? No, no, I'm still, I still run my window covering business. I've been doing it for 35 years. Wow. In, in New York area. Yeah. I still do it. Oh, uh, so well, like, uh, like, uh, storefront window coverings you mean, or are you talking like awnings and canopies? I'm talking about draperies and shades oh. and, pulp and fabric and yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So, so on top of pounding these books out, you're running a company. On, uh, wow. Wow. Why you, you are a busy guy that, that, uh, that is, uh, I, I'm fascinated that you can hit that many books to me. It just seems like such a huge feat to, to put together, uh, one book, much less several. I mean, it's, it's impressive that, uh, that you could do, you know, that many, I, uh, but I'm not a writer. You know what I mean? I've, that's like, I, I'd rather draw stick figures than try and write a book. It's not my thing at all, but that's awesome. So I, I, so where, where's the, where's the uh, direction headed? Like, uh, still in the same, uh, type of writing, you, you just going to keep going with the historical stuff and, and, or do you think you'll if you see yourself venturing out someday? My son wants me to write a fantasy novel, you know, like on the, you know, some like build up a world, like you know, you know, Game of Thrones type thing. Um, but you know, I write what I like to read. I, I that's so that works for me. At this point, I have, uh, I I have uh, will be three more books published this year on historical fiction. Um, so I'm still I'm still there. You know, thinking three books ahead is a lot for me, but I pretty much 
have nailed what I want to do. Because the next two are sequels. Yeah. I'm doing a sequel to The Bomb Squad and a sequel to Hope City. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So the, the Hope City is the Alaskan adventures of Percy Hope. So perhaps Percy Hope will have a, uh, you know, several stories would be like the, the Sherlock Holmes uh, or the James Bond uh, or the uh, Alex Cross or the Robert Langdon novels where the character continues moving on and on. You got a fire going over there? Me? No. Uh, how long does it take then once that uh, you pick the narrator order? How long does it take for it to actually get to an actual available audio book? You kind of got me uh, interested in this Hope City thing, man. I want to get a part of it. I might, have, um, I might have to put her on the Kindle and actually do it the old-fashioned way. Uh, well, it'll be on Audible. It's going to take probably uh, at least six weeks, eight weeks before it's on Audible, I would imagine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, so do you sit down and listen to the whole thing, or do you just pick excerpts to... Uh, no, I listen to everything, because, you know, I want to make sure they got the... the, the making the pronunciations correctly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no mistakes. Um, yes. Yeah, so I have to listen to the whole thing for sure. So you go through and, uh, you know, I want this person's voice to be a little different and, uh, to fix that. Or do you, uh, do you get all that out of the, out of the gate? I mean, obviously you set up, uh, set it up, uh, in the beginning with, uh, yeah, we have a conversation about you know, the overview of the story and how the names should be pronounced and things like that. But, you know, there are things that come up here and they're not many, you know, a handful that have to be correct. Yeah. Well, I know there's a, there's a, I don't want to say a small group, but there's an elite group of people who do the, uh, do the audible stuff in the reading, uh, the books on tape. And it's, it's impressive. It's, uh, it's, I, I follow, I follow a lot of comedians in there. There's a comedian I follow who, uh, wrote a book and and he actually read it himself for, uh, and it's not good. (laughs) Not good at all. Like that was, that was a uh, yeah. bad decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not good to read it yourself unless you have a really, I mean, some, some writers are, have amazing, like Neil Gaiman has an amazing voice and he could certainly read his own. Yeah. But, um, you know, plus I'm not, I don't have the, the studio to do it in. Yeah. And, and also it's not just reading it because you want to have some subtle changes in your voice and with characters. So, you know, if you have a female character speaking with the male character you know, you, you, there's a slight shift in your voice, so pe- the listener the, can understand that there's a different person speaking. So those type of subtleties take some skill to do. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, so, and yeah so, the guy who's the guy who did uh, the Cobbler's Tale did a really good job. I uh, he's uh, great. He's keeping me uh, he's keeping me interested. That's for sure. I like I said, I'm about three quarters of the way through that thing, so that's good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check all these out. So what uh, what other uh, you know, obviously running the business and writing the books. What else? Uh, you've got kids, or what are we talking here? I got two grown boys. Uh, they're men, um, thirty one and twenty six. Uh, yeah. So oh, you're in the clear uh, then. You made I'm it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny because you know you think okay, they're grown men, you don't have to uh, take care of them anymore. But you know, there's, there's always that that connection you have that you never feel that that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny you say own. that. I've got two that are, I've got one that's supposed to go to college in the fall, which uh, that's a whole nother show. But, uh, and then I've got one who went last year. So uh, potentially a freshman and a, and a sophomore in college. And then I got a little eighth grader and uh, well, he'll be ninth now. Uh, but uh, it, it, it feel like it's such a separation when they go away, but they never really go away. They're still, so much involved and they're so dependent on you for so many things that 
you just don't think of that when they're leaving. You know what I mean? So it's like, and it's interesting to yeah. hear that now uh, years are older. Did they live in your area then? Yeah. Well, no, my, my oldest son lives very close. Um, he also works in the business with me and my younger son lives on a farm in Vermont and he's in a wonderful place. Oh, wow. So he has a, a great life up in Vermont. Uh, he's only been there for like six weeks, but yeah, he's, it's, it's uh, what, hopefully good. What go drew visit him, him up there? Like what, what drew like, him to Vermont? Well, he's into primitive skills, uh, indigenous studies, uh, foraging, plant wow. medicine, um, biodynamic farming. So there's a woman who has a farm up there who also is into all that and bees, beekeeping. And so it's a full working farm. So they, she offered her position. And it's a wonderful place, and it's nice and safe away from all this madness down here, and rich and happy. Because he's he's he would be running around right now without a mask on, helping everybody. And I'd be like, <laughs> "Stop it, please, Max! You're making me crazy." So I'm glad he's up there in a much safer place because he's. I'm sure he's running around with no mask on. He's hugging everybody, but in Vermont, that's a lot pretty of fresh much air up there. Exactly. That's exciting. Wow, how cool! That's that's very interesting. I. Uh, uh, so w- the best place for people to get your stuff is where? Like, uh, go to the website and get it directly from you, or or, or I, obviously Kindle and, and Audible. You can, yeah. I don't sell the books directly; they have to be purchased on on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can go to my website and you can read a lot about uh, what I have there, and you can go to my blog and there's lots of inter- interesting information. Um, see all the reviews I've have been written. Uh, so you can go there just to learn more about me. It's neilperrygordon.com. Uh, and then you, you'll see links to Amazon on, on, the, on the website. So if you want to purchase the books, you can go uh, to Amazon under Neil Perry Gordon. And you'll see my books. Very cool. What about, so so what, if you had to pick which one's your favorite, like which one is like the, your, your – obviously the Cobber's Tale being the first one, you probably have a little soft spot for that. But how uh, – like if you had to pick one, one of the, one of the uh, children here, which one are you picking? Well, which one of your children are your favorite? That's well, it's like the same. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. You're putting a, a a fair amount of them out, so I just I'm curious if you like the way the the cobbler's tail went or or the bomb squad. You know, like uh, uh, the different variations on the uh, on the stories because it's uh, it it just fascinates me that uh, you can come up with that uh, that much in that amount of time. I keep uh, I keep going back to that, but realistically, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I don't know which, you know, I always think my latest work is my best work because it's a learning process, though I still get lots of praise for A Cobbler's Tale. I have over 55 four and five star reviews on Amazon for it. So it was very successful, very well received, very well reviewed, uh, and it was my first. So, uh, but I still think that I get better as I move along because I try to improve myself as a writer. Um so uh, each one to me uh, has some sort of special meaning in that. And then when I go back and listen to them, sometimes I'll, I'll go back and I'll repost something on my blog from an older book. Um, and I'm like, wow, I wrote that. That was pretty good. <laughs> and so I, I forget. Dust after a while. off the old memory bank. I like that. Sure. Yeah. Do you think it's any good. of them will ever become a movie? TV show? Yeah. I, well, if it was my choice, if it was my decision, I'd make a multiple movies for sure. <laughs> has, has there been talk? I, uh, I, 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 I got to think that uh, over the course of uh, many years, you're going to come up with people coming to you 
saying, hey, let's make this thing into a movie. I'm ready for that. Trust me. I, I, come, I'm ready. That's where the, uh, that's where the big uh, payoff is, right? When you get into the... It would be, I'm sure it'll be a big payoff, but it'll also be a humongous massaging of my ego if that ever happened. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> You'll have to have a small part in there for yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, walk on part. Exactly. They, uh, what did, did you, uh, now you told us earlier, uh, uh, how this all started. <laughs> What'd you go to college for? Let's say it that way. I went to college for marketing. Really? Um, yes. A business degree at Pace University in, in Manhattan. Oh, so, you, so have you been over there the whole, and in, in, in New York the whole time? Well, in New York metropolitan area, yeah, I was born here. Um, I did spend 10 years of my life in Florida in the eighties, 1980 to 1990. Um, so I, that, that's, that's sort of sandwich in between, but, uh, I'm a New New Yorker, uh, through and through. Wow. So you went back to that, but you couldn't, it was too slow for you in, in Florida or what? Well, when, when my oldest son, Sam was born, uh, I couldn't imagine growing up, having him grow up in Florida. It's just, I needed to have, have more of a real experience. Uh, so we moved back up to the Northeast to back to New York and, wow. uh, Right in yeah. Manhattan? No, in the suburbs. Okay. 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 Because that, uh, that's a different way of life. Uh, you know, but I guess if you've been there your whole life, you don't know any different. I, I've been, I, I go out there every once in a while, but man, that's just too fast paced for me. And I, uh, you know, I don't like sitting around. I like getting out and doing it, but Manhattan is just on fire all the time. It just doesn't yeah, it stop. Although it'd be really interesting to see right now on you know, I mean, obviously things are picking up. Have they started opening anything there yet? Not in the city. Not yet. No. Still shut down. So on a, any given day, like right now, if you went out to Manhattan and you're walking around, it's just tumbleweed. You'll see people walking in the streets, um, you, you know, it's but you won't see traffic. You won't see bumper to bumper traffic like you always see. The streets are pretty much empty. Um, so, yeah. No it's a ghost competitive horn, horn honking <laughs> no pollution you know it's uh, a lot of like a day like today it's a beautiful day in new york today it's 65 degrees beautiful clear sunny day it'll be you know the parks will be packed with people this the uh the, the walkways along the rivers will be packed um you know, I don't know how much social distancing will be going on, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people in Manhattan. That's why there was so, so much, uh, of the virus going around. Yeah. It's so populated. We're all stacked so, up for sure. I think, I, I, I think that they got hit the hardest there. Didn't they? New York, New York and New Jersey got to hit the hardest. Yes. Yeah. So that'll be the last open. Although I, my daughter's supposed to go to San Diego state in the fall and they've already said they're not going, uh, they already shut that down. But some of the, Schools like uh, here in uh, Minnesota, the University of Minnesota, uh, they're they're still planning as of now to uh, have a normal fall semester, uh, and along with Wisconsin too. So it's the middle of the country, and I, I think in Georgia, I think Georgia's pretty much open, aren't they? Um, Some, oh, yeah, both, a lot of states are. I mean, there are parts of New York that are opening, but upstate um, where there's less people, so parts of New York are opening. So, yeah, I think the summer you'll have, well, everyone will be fine throughout the summer. It, what the, the real question is what's going to happen in the fall when the flu season comes back mm-hmm. and then start getting sick again. So that's, that's the test. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's not good. Do you, uh, have you been, does any, uh, do you know anyone who has uh, come down with it? 
There's some friends who have, they, they've been fine. You know, they had to stay home and they, they, they're okay now. A couple of friends of mine. Yeah. yeah. I don't know anybody who's passed from it. Sure. Sure. No, that's, uh, you know, it, it's hitting the, uh, the elderly real hard here and everywhere, but that's, you know, 80% of our deaths are from the elderly here in Minnesota. Um, it's sweeping through these retirement homes like crazy. Um, but they're the most at risk, you know, so obviously that's, it's going to spread like wildfire if it gets in there and, and, uh, starts going crazy. But I, I've kind of isolated myself from the news and everything so that I don't, uh, I don't, I just don't want to hear it anymore. It's been so long of so much negativity that it's like, ah, give me a, give me a little something positive. That'd be great. But, uh, I think, I think we're, we're turning the corner here in Minnesota anyway. Um, they're going to start opening salons and restaurants, uh, in limited capacity. So could be good. Could be good. Well, listen, sir, we need to wrap this thing up. Uh, let me tell people how they can find you. Uh, your website is Neil Perry Gordon and, uh, you, you've got Twitter and, uh, Facebook and anywhere you want to find, uh, Neil Perry Gordon, you could do that. Um, and go check it out. Like I said, I'm, uh, in the middle of a cobbler's tale and, uh, it's a great book. I'm having fun with it. I'm uh, excited to uh, jump into the next one and, uh, see where we end up. Uh, so we can't thank you enough for all the time, sir. I, uh, hopefully we'll run into you down the road on the next book and, and, uh, and so on and so on. It sounds like they're going to be coming rapid fire, which I like. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right, man. You have a great day and we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, the DK Project Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.